Politics. That thing you hear about on the news every day. That thing you are not supposed to bring up at a dinner party. But what if you could talk about politics in a civil way? That's the goal of Better Angels, led by a Democrat from Frederick and a Republican in Myersville. They help teach people to converse about divisive topics in an empathetic and understanding way. They join editor Alan Etzler now to show how people can have conversations about politics in a respectful manner. Thanks, Heather. Uh, Jim and Natalie Abbas, Jim Carpenter, welcome to the Frederick Uncut podcast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, Better Angels. And I guess first I want to get into kind of a, a background of the group and how it got started. So can, can you guys tell me a little bit about how it started and, and what it is, what you guys hope to accomplish? Uh well, it started after the uh, <clears throat> 2016 election in which uh, there was obviously a lot of polarization in the United States. And it's the uh, uh, couple of uh, professors and a family counselor got together and wrote out a, uh, some guidelines are for a workshop for getting uh, people from opposite sides to work together. So the first one was held in a barn in Ohio, and uh, they had about... 10 Republicans and 10 Democrats. And uh, that was such a huge success that it was celebrated by some uh, uh, popular country singers. And uh, uh, it, it, from then, and it really expanded. It caught on. And now it's pretty much in all the states. And they have had two national conventions. Uh, and uh, and the, the work has grown from that flagship workshop to a lot of different types of products or services, as I would call them. So just to follow up on what you said, Jim, uh, I looked at the schedule today, and over the last year, uh, 2018 and 2019, uh, we've got over 400 events scheduled uh, going into the next year. So I'm really excited uh, they're cropping up everywhere. I noticed that Ellicott City, Columbia, uh, even Hagerstown had some organizations starting to crop up. So mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing what, what happens there. That's great. And, and I want to get in a little bit to kind of how we talk to each other because that was a big reason uh, for this organization to start, how we, how we talk to each other about politics. What do you guys think of where we're at in terms of the political discourse that takes place today? I'll start with you, Natalie. Well, we're at opposite ends of the spectrum, and it's you can't say anything to anyone. Even family members are having issues. So uh, that's kind of what got me involved was just the way people were talking to one another and so many relationships were falling apart. And it's like, why are we having these knee-jerk reactions to all of this? Jim? Yeah, so I'm sure all of us have uh, experienced some really difficult conversations over politics. But I have some good news. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of work going on in the United States t today, since, particularly since that 2016 election. Uh, BridgeLiance.us lists 99 organizations doing similar work than what we're doing in 10 categories. And there's another uh, uh, organization called Listen First Project, which has 250 partners, uh, organizational partners uh, in, in that project. So there's a lot of work. And they say that 70% of Americans want to be able to find it necessary want to be able to talk across the political divide. 
So that's a really encouraging statistic. I, I don't know the source of that statistic besides that website. I don't know anything. About, I'm a statistician. I like, to, <laughs> I like to look at the source of the data. But everyone I meet uh, has congratulated me on, on this work and wants to uh, take the workshop. Mm-hmm. I, I live in a retirement community, and I walked through the, the lodge, the lobby this morning, and everybody was just uh, congratulating me and so forth. There's a lot of, lot of uh, uh, support for this work. It's really tremendous. So I second there's that. hope yet, huh? Mm-hmm. How many compliments have you got today? Oh, geez. <laughs> I mean, I even have people email me emailing me and sending me Facebook messages that I don't even know. Our article was in the Frederick News Post yesterday, and it's just, it's been overwhelming. So they're excited for this work. Um, There's a lot to be done. And I think, you know, sometimes it begs the question, we've got to look at other things that are contributing to it and and try to, um, you know, see what we can do there. There's another part of the good news, and that this is not all that hard to have a good, a difficult conversation. Uh, it takes some skill and some, some understanding of how to communicate. And that's what the, the workshops go. Besides the full day workshop, we have some skills workshop so that they're, they're designed for people that are not necessarily even divided, but it just teaches them skills of conversation for, to have difficult conversations. So that's really good. Um, so let's say I want to show up to a workshop. Mm-hmm. I show up. What happens? What do I do? What do we talk about? Okay. Well, I think it depends on what you've signed up for. Um, there's different workshops. Of course, you've got like a three-hour workshop. You've got a half a day. You've got an all-day. I'm doing you, the all-day. I'm you're really doing the getting all day. into it. The flagship, yeah. The flagship. <laughs> so, Jim, you've kind of okay. been part of that. So. Yeah, I've- I've uh, attended my first one up in Pennsylvania, live one, and then I've seen uh, the uh, videos of others. Um, I don't, do you want me to go into a blow, blow, blow description? There's actually four exercises. Sure. Yeah, let's, okay. do, the, let's do the exercises. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, so the, the first one is uh, called the stereotypes exercise. So, uh, and <laughs> they begin... By separating the two, okay, so you have equal numbers, seven to nine uh, Republicans, seven, or, or conservatives and seven to nine uh, uh, progressives. Okay, so you begin in the same room, but then you separate them into different rooms. And you, challenge, you ask them to list the stereotypes that they're called, you know, mm-hmm. bad names or whatever. Um, <clears throat> and then pick the top four. And then discuss and then describe what the true picture is, you know, behind this stereotype. So what they really believe is being missed and so forth. And also what the nugget of truth is. Behind each stereotype, there's generally some, <laughs> some example that you don't like, you know, that, uh, that, that you get labeled by. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's, and you come out of that and both come back and then they share those observations. Uh, in the when they're in the separate rooms, they find out that they really there's really more of a variety of opinions on on each of the issues they go through, and um, and that some in some cases they they find that, that they don't really know much about it. That's kind of what they observe among themselves, and when they come back and then they share those experiences, 
the two sides are already beginning to uh, feel more safe in a conversation. Mm -hmm. And then the second exercise is called the fishbowl exercise. And it, again, separates the two, one in the center uh, of the circle, and then the other surrounding them as observers. And they're asked, the ones in the center are asked two questions, and I don't remember exactly the mm -hmm. questions, but, uh, and the outside the opposing circle just observes. And then there are two other, and that takes up the morning and then mm -hmm. the afternoon. There's some more uh, exercises that tend to, tend to uh, uh, emphasize certain skills. Okay. Yeah. Um, Natalie, when we, when we talk about politics, so much of the worst of it, of these discussions, happens online or in the Frederick News Post comments section. Uh, <laughs> how important is that face-to-face -face element of, of making political discourse better? Well, I think, you know, everybody has to come in with the opportunity that things are going to be better and kind of put your um, listening skills on before you get there and realize that transformation is possible. And if everybody's working together, I would think and hope that people walking into are not coming to um, arm the group but disarm the conversations and really learn about, okay, what am I going to learn today that's going to help me talk to my sister, help me talk to my dad, help me talk to my, you know, my, my neighbor, you know, <laughs> and help us to find common ground where we can work together. And, hey, we both value safety in school. Let's be able to talk about just safety for our children. You know, something, you know, you've really got to start kind of pulling back the onion and dealing with the core values of one another. I want to get into that. I want to get to the good stuff. So let's do it. <laughs> I'm going to read off a statement, and it's going to be about the most polarizing issues happening in society. And I want you guys, one, I'll start with one person, and then the other person can, can kind of rebuttal. But just give us your thoughts, and they can be as nuanced or as black and white as possible. Is it okay? That sounds great. But right. having said that, um, I want to take a step back and say, you know, you can't really do anything unless the media is all going to follow along. Oh, I agree. And really help out. Because if you look at the media, are they helping or hurting? Are they contributing or not? Right. And sometimes we just need to learn to turn the channel until, you know, the rhetoric is a little bit less. In addition to that, I think there's part of the fairness doctrine that could be reenacted mm -hmm. Uh, since it's been out of the you know federal register since 2011, so I think that would contribute to. I'm really sad I deleted my question about trust of mass media. <laughs> <laughs> I've a slightly different view on on the media. Uh, I think once you learn how to listen and understand another person and see that person's universe up close what the values they have, why that this issue matters to them, mm -hmm. and really understand it. That doesn't change my view of the universe, of the world, but at least I understand that now we can talk and address both values at the same time, and a lot of times they're not conflicting. Right. Sometimes they are. Sometimes you have to make a decision of which value to, 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 to sacrifice, you know, or to compromise on. Right. I think compromise is something no one's willing to do today. Uh -huh. um, so the first statement, 
Frederick County Sheriff's Office should participate in the 287G program, mm. which allows the Sheriff's Office to inquire about immigration status of someone who is detained for committing a crime. I'll start with Natalie. So, I mean, that's a, that's a huge issue right now. And I'm going to respect, he knows how to do his job. He knows what he's faced with. I'm not, you know, I'm able to sleep at night because he does his job. So I'm not here to say, okay, what you're doing is wrong or right. I think we need to find out the facts, find out what he is doing, and where the conversation, um, okay, if I tweak this, will you be happy, you know, red or blue? And if I don't tweak that, is it going to be so upsetting that you're not going to be able to live with it? So what can we put on the ballot box next year or maybe enact a law or create some policy, how am I going to be happy and you're going to be happy? What can we do to make that happen? I'm not necessarily here to change your mind. Right. I'm just here to find out which core values are so that we can work together to make sure we, we both have those covered. Jim? Okay, so there's two aspects to this. One is the general immigration issue, which I really feel there's more uh, overlap of, of, and consensus of how, to, you know, how this thing should be handled. If we sit down to the table, I've talked to a lot of Republicans and we both came to that conclusion. But as far as the 287G contract, realize what it is. It's a contract between a federal agency whose task is immigration, with a local sheriff whose task is law enforcement. But look at what the effects of this contract is doing. It's creating a fear in a sizable portion of the Frederick community. And these, the, this community then is afraid, essentially afraid of the law enforcement. They don't report their incidents because of themselves, their friends, their, you know, what? The, it just balloons out of control. So we have a community which we don't know what's happening with respect to crime. It could, in effect, it's an invitation to all sorts of uh, criminal elements, including spousal abuse and gangs and, you know, uh, you name it. Why would you create a contract between a federal agency and a local sheriff with two different missions that creates this environment in the middle of our community? I could give an, uh, an example, a, th a thought process. I'm sure people will find holes in this. But suppose the IRS made a contract with the sheriff's department. You know, so to process, it was, someone was arrested for anything, so they process them through the database, and they find out, uh, you know, if they wanted for any taxes or whatever. That's a thought process. Just think about it. <laughs> Great. Question two. Okay, so <laughs> never mind. Did you want me to respond? I no, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> you can respond I, if you like. Um, I, I think possibly... If I were the sheriff, my argument would be um, there is a section of this immigrant community that he feels is not keeping the community safe. And so that makes this contract, that makes this little bit of fear 
justifiable, that would be his argument. I would think, I don't want to speak for him, just playing that, that seat. So he's making a judgment about the community, about which are to be treated like criminals, essentially, or sus suspected. Right, with the basis of them already alleging that they committed a crime. Oh, so this is in the context of an arrest. Right, right, right. Okay. So they've already been arrested. He's deciding to engage in this process with ICE. And, okay, so that happens, yeah. So what do you do? I don't know. I'm, I'm not the sheriff. <laughs> so I'm not arguing that he's actually doing anything wrong, that the, that the Latino community thinks that they're being pulled over more because of ICE, and that's one argument. I don't right. know the, the data on that. Right. But I know that you can't blame that totally on ICE because that's happening in sheriff's departments all over the nation that blacks and Latinos mm -hmm. are being discriminated against. So you can't really blame it on 287G. I've heard that argument by, by liberals. And uh, the, the crux of the matter goes back to this contract and what it's creating, the effect it's having on our community. Right. Question two. Okay. <laughs> I'll ask Jim, you can start, and then Natalie, you can rebuttal. The Thank government you. should be responsible for health care. You know, I debated this in the 11th grade in 1964. That makes my question sound sophomoric. <laughs> <laughs> Resolved that the federal government should provide essential health care for all citizens at public expense. That was the topic. Um, yeah. You're asking my, my personal, Your personal, personal view. Your personal view. Yeah. Okay. So my personal, I tend to be a gradualist. So I, I worked for 30 years collecting economic data, purely statistics, and I got rather at a high level of metadata and you know what's and modeling and so forth. But uh, <laughs> my mind is going in two directions. So repeat the question. The uh, government should be responsible oh, yeah, for okay, health care, right, financially okay. responsible for health care. Okay, so I'm a gradualist. I think we have a program that works fairly well, you know, Medicaid, Medicare, whatever. My wife is more of an expert on that. She, uh, and that should be expanded. And I think th I tend to tr look at health care as more of a, of a right and necessity nowadays. Uh, but I'm really afraid of shocking the system uh, with uh, elaborate uh, changes in, yeah. in the system. All right. Natalie? That's my opinion. So my personal view, after being a life and health agent for many years, I see the need for a lot of health care out there. We do have Medicare and Medicaid. It's picking up a lot of the slack. Uh, there's a lot of companies out there that can certainly help. Uh, I believe that you could champion a lot of the bigger companies like Amazon and let's say we have a mom that's, you know, taking care of four children at home. She's going to be on Medicaid or Medi Medicare and she's going to be able to take care of her children. They're going to be able to have dental and health care and maybe some vision after, you know, a few years. Um, and so I think everything is covered. If they are not covered, you know, let's find a system that works, that is like a, 
um, an earning type of um, environment rather than just, you know, I think it's it should be a, not only a privilege but a right to have free health care um, as long as it's earned and reciprocated. You know, maybe you can contribute to the pool um, after you find a job and, you know, con contribution is, is great. But I can't see uh, just providing it out of everybody else's pocket to pay mm -hmm. for the people that don't want to work. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, so <clears throat> this is just, <laughs> this is not an illustration of better angels, really. Uh, this is just uh, the, 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 how we differ on, on, on issues. I know? just wanted to illustrate a good way to talk about Yeah, right, issues. okay. Right, so she, she I, I told what I thought, she told me what she thought. And, and, but the, I have a lot of questions in my, my head that really need a follow-up so that okay. I really understand where she's coming from. Well, let's know? dig in on health care. Oh, boy, that's my least favorite topic. <laughs> All right, well, what, what, so what questions okay. did you want to follow up? Uh, oh, boy, I'm not sure where to start. Um, I basically have her re repeat that argument and then d ask questions that where I don't understand. What, what, what's the, what, first of all, I'm not sure what what is your picture of a, a good health care system so I would say with all the diverse characters that we have in our community I would expect that someone can go to Mission of Mercy they can go to a health care facility they can go to um, let's say they want natural naturopathic uh, someone that needs CBD oil because they have aches or joint pain or something else, I think that it has to be a tapping into the resources that are Eastern, Western, and, and very, a variety of resources that they could um, utilize so that, you know, everybody's not going to need what I need or the way I want it. Mm -hmm. um, I would rather have my doctor tell me, um, you know, don't go on a diet, don't eat this stuff, but you need to lose weight and you need to exercise. Okay, so... Don't take these pills, but go exercise. So I'm, I'm beginning to understand that particular worldview, at least I think I am. So you want uh, free choice of different treatments and doctors and so forth. That's an important value to you. Yes. Yeah, okay. Um and uh, okay, so there's. I I would agree that I would I value that too, but I don't place that as uh, a higher above uh, reducing certain or, or I don't place that above in improving the health of our of our country. You know, I mean, I mean the uh, the the access. Um, to the resources, the, the equal access to mm -hmm. to to the services. Okay. Yeah. You know, so you're you're talking about free choice of uh, a number of different options mm -hmm. of of products and services, and I'm talking about availability. Uh, my value is availability to uh, people of different strata. Just real access. Yeah. You're talking about access. Yeah, and and I'm. I'm more concerned about the access to the uh, bottom economic 
level because, uh, <laughs> obviously. I think that's important. Yeah. I think that's like a good place to start. But look at the veterans. They need it, too. Uh-huh. Um, so having access to the various modalities of treatment is important because I think oh, yeah. grandpa so, isn't going to need the same thing as the teenager. Right. So, so no, you I, have to be... I agree with you that I, I'm for that free choice of, of uh, doctors and services. But who's going to pay for it? Okay, so that's another issue. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's a separate issue. So we have these two values. You like this free choice, and I like uh, uh, availability to uh, uh, equal, more or less equal, not absolute availability, because they're always going to be top people at the top of the hierarchy that can afford... Equitable. Equitable. Not not equal, but equitable. Minimally equitable, sort of. You know, I'm saying there will always be people at the top of the riches hierarchy that will be able to afford all the health care they'd want, maybe, you know, preserve their life for 200 years and so forth. But there should be a certain standard that is available to all. I don't know. No, do I agree with that. Okay. That's how it's done, I think, right? Is that <laughs> no. how it's supposed to go? Oh, no, no. She said, how do you pay for it? That's I what said you it. Yeah. Well, how do we pay for it? How do we pay for it? Yeah. Now, that's that's a good question. As uh, uh, 30 years in the Bureau of Labor Statistics, tracking data, you know, prices and so forth, and, uh, I am very sensitive to those issues of, of how you pay for it. And Are tax increases justifiable? Uh, it depends in my view, it depends on how you do it. The devil is in the details. I think if you do a wise tax and a wise system would actually not only increase the level of health in the U.S., but would generate more jobs for everyone and reduce the cost of individual procedures across the board. Well, that's one way to do it. I don't know. I think I'd tax the cigarettes and the things that are bad for you so that uh-huh. we're pulling the resources from what's contributing to the lack of health throughout mm-hmm. our nation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I want to do the exercise briefly where we, we talked about stereotypes. Oh. And I, let's have that conversation. <laughs> There's There are a lot of stereotypes that are going around now for both sides of the political aisle. So let's just pick one on each side, and I'll let you guys pick it, and then we can kind of go from there how you guys would do it at Better Angels. Is that cool? Sure. All right. Uh, Natalie, what is the stereotype you feel is most commonly labeled on conservatives? Hmm. And how do you feel about that? And then, Jim, you're going to be asked the same question. Okay. Maybe that we're weak and we don't stand up for ourselves and we don't know how to fight. And perhaps I'm not on the other side, so I don't always, you know, but of course. Now, see, that's why we're not in the same room at this point. Because <laughs> I, I would jump in. My natural instinct would be to jump in. You know, and what we're, would you say? We'll jump in. Well, no, but that's not the point. Oh. The, the point if is, you were she's, a Republican, you're, you're talking, you would say. Yeah. Oh, okay. if I were a Republican. So if you were a Republican, what would you say? Uh, oh, the, the stereotypes, knuckle, drag, knuckle draggers. <laughs> That's the last one I heard today. <laughs> <laughs> it happens to be. 
I don't think so. Well, you know, they're 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 uneducated. I've never heard that. Okay, stereotypes. They're uneducated. They don't believe in science. You know, they're uh, they believe in creationism. The dinosaurs were uh, created six thousand years ago or seven thousand years ago. That sort of thing. Knuckle draggers. Okay. <laughs> You know, that's a stereotype. Okay. Right. right? I understand. I understand. Yeah. Now, so if I were a Republican, I would list that. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then, so what's the real, and the, the next thing is, what's the real story behind this? What, what's the... Well, I think we're conservatives. Say the, say the knuckle dragger stereotype. So if we, okay, so we're being called the knuckle dragger yeah. stereotype. What's the truth in that nugget? No, no. What's the real story? So what's the real story? Yeah. How do you look at yourself as far as science? And I believe we believe in science. I believe we believe that nature is very important. We want the ocean just as clean today, tomorrow, every day. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to have our kids in the ocean. So we believe in you know, natural resources, being able to go hunting, being able to utilize our resources. And I mean, I do love science. I'm a paralegal by trade, so I do love um, the process. Uh, I do believe in creation. I think we're, not that we're all religious, but I think we have uh, the values of being able to understand the other side and realize that we come at it from maybe a more Christian side of opinion. What say you? <laughs> Uh, so am I still a Republican? Uh, yes, you're still okay. a Republican. Uh, well, we're, we're going to move on to liberal soon. Don't worry. Okay. Boy, and am I going to okay. have fun? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Give it to. Me. Okay. So notice that uh, as a Democrat, I could have jumped in on all, any of those statements, but as a Republican, I could either agree or disagree, and and it would be safe. Mm -hmm. That's the point. You're putting them in a safe environment with their own, and they're talking about stereotypes. And in this case, uh, you know, she, she, she says she believes in science, and you know, the others would say, agree or disagree, and they would come to a conclusion. Well, uh, you know, uh, we believe in science and education and so forth. Um, so, so as a Republican, I would cite all of the people I know that are highly educated and Republicans and so forth, and it just doesn't seem in my experience that it's, it's true. You know, I, I, I don't have the data, so all I can speak is from my experience. The Republicans I know are not knuckle-draggers. Let's go to liberal now. Jim, what are some of the stereotypes you hear? And then I want to hear from, from Natalie as well, and then we'll talk about those two stereotypes. Okay. Uh, snowflakes, I guess. Uh, That's you know, the big one? All right. Well, yeah. we're. That, it's not so popular anymore. I remember when uh, Tea Party uh, was going strong, and we were labeled as snow, snowflakes. We're, we're out in la-la land, you know, with sort of uh, with um, visions of... Uh, Spending money on <laughs> new government, you know. Yeah. Natalie? Well, they like to have a bill de jour, and, you know, spending money is, is something they love. 
Uh, I like to conserve money. I like little government. He likes big now, government. Are you speaking as a Democrat <laughs> or a Republican? <laughs> oh, I'm speaking as a Republican. Yeah, I know. Okay. I can't wear that hat but, as a Democrat. But see, we're, we're in this first exercise, so you have to be right. a Democrat a for Democrat. a minute. You've got to be a Democrat. Oh, boy, that's a tough shoe to put on. <laughs> so it I is. Would, I it would is. say for, gee, a Democrat, well, we like to, you know, not make a point, but sometimes talk to make a point. We uh, basically talk to create havoc. We are inflamed by any rhetoric we hear, and we're just we're just going to go off on our own agenda and not really care about what anybody else wants. Let's go with inflamed uh, by any rhetoric because that's similar to snowflake. Yeah. So let's talk about that one. Yeah. Okay. How do, how do you is that something that you hear and what is what's the real story there? Oh, uh, okay. So how inflamed or radical are we? Oh, yeah. Well, it's a, the Democratic uh, people <laughs> are cover a wide range, and so there are uh, a lot of people that are inflammatory. Uh, I talked to some of my Democratic ultra liberal radical friends and uh uh watch them get inflamed you know so there's a nugget of truth behind that um so what's the real story i think the real story is there's a broad spectrum and you can pick out uh examples on any part of the spectrum i think for me it's it's not just the rhetoric but kind of how they characterize things Oh. oh, I've seen you trolling my page. I see you, you know, it's just, uh, you're in my restaurant. You need to get out of my restaurant. <laughs> it's it's inflaming and almost combative. Yeah, okay. And so the combativeness is like that knee-jerk reaction. And so I think a lot of times, you know, it, it just takes our breath away. And people don't know how to deal with that. Uh, well, the real story is that that's not necessarily a democratic trait. <laughs> what <laughs> is hear, that? <laughs> you hear that on both sides, that, uh, that there is this broad spectrum. And uh, Well, it does. Okay, so the characterization of kind of my actions or reactions are inflamed to the point where then I get upset and do my knee-jerk reaction. So that's where it starts to escalate. So how do we disarm that with better angels? So we're uh, let's go back <laughs> to the uh, to the stereotyping. Okay, so you're you're so the stereotype is flamethrower. You know, sure. uh, you you're out there protesting, throwing rocks and things like that. That's the stereotype that we're agreeing on. Okay. Um, I come from a, uh, I'm a Quaker, and the, the main thing is peace. And I don't see those people. Um, I think Democrats are fundamentally, the tr the tr so the true story is that Democrats are fundamentally a peace-loving people. And I, I think that there are issues on from the local level to the global level are in cooperation and 
and um, equal opportunity. Great. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't so bad. I have one last question. Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving's coming up. Mm. I've got this crazy uncle. He just wants to talk mm -hmm. politics every time we sit down for this Thanksgiving. This is just a hypothetical. This is for anybody listening who has a crazy uncle. Um, <laughs> when, he bring, get it. when he brings it up at Thanksgiving, any political discourse, what do we do? How should we handle it? What is the one tip you would give people to having these conversations? Well, I think I would focus on kind of disarming it and, oh, we're not going to talk about politics today. Let's all enjoy each other's company because we've come from afar. We don't get together very often. And let's just, um, you know, for anybody that wants to talk politics, there's the jar and you have to pay $5 for every minute that you talk Good. politics. Good tip. Get rich. <laughs> <laughs> Jim. Okay, so how would I uh, treat this uh, uncle, which I don't have? <laughs> um, one word. Listen. Listen to comprehend his worldview. What, why does this issue matter to him? What's at stake for him personally? What's his values? Just listen for his understanding so that you can get a clear view of his world, whether you agree with it or not. And then once you're able to state that in his terms, that he will agree that that is his world, he's then willing to listen to me to describe my world, okay? It's that simple. Very beautiful. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I've been I, working on this for years. I don't, I don't, I don't even want to say anything because it just won't measure up. So we're just going to go ahead and throw it back to back to Heather, all right? I want to thank you guys so much for coming on. Thank I really you. appreciate it. Thanks for telling thank us about so Better much. Angels. Okay. We're having our event December 7th at the Trinity Church. Yeah. December 7th at Trinity. That was my right. church for a time. Oh, That's great. Thank you, guys. Okay, great. Thank, thank you. Food reporter Katrina Pereira now joins us in the studio to talk about her latest food review. All right, Katrina, so where did you go to eat this week? So this week I went to Cinco de Mayo, which is a Mexican restaurant. They have locations in Middletown and Urbana. All right, and your first thoughts? Um, my first thoughts when I walked in or my first thoughts on the food? Um, I guess when you walked in and then we'll get to the food. Okay, um... The decor of the restaurant is pretty typical of most Mexican restaurants. You know, it's bright. It um, has a lot of color in there. There are in the middle, um, sorry, in the Urbana location, there's a picture of Frida Kahlo on the wall. Um, you know, looks like kind of your typical Mexican place. All right. So your predecessor, Kate Masters, had a kind of thing against uh, a lot of cantina, the Mexican food that was served here in Frederick. So... Maybe not on the Cape Master scale, but in terms of the amount of restaurants that we have here in Frederick that do serve Mexican food, um, where does this one fall? I would say it falls pretty low on the list, to be honest. Um, I tried a bunch of their dishes and was pretty upset across the board. All right. So I haven't seen you give a bad review yet. So yes. This is kind of surprising. So what about it made it not so great? Um. So my whole thing with Mexican food is that it's very, very common in the United States, right? I mean, it's one of the most common cuisines that you can find. You can go to 
the middle of nowhere in this country and probably find some sort of Mexican food. Um, you know, even restaurants that aren't Mexican restaurants serve tacos, they serve burritos, all of that. So because of that, there is a standard, I feel, that has to be met. Um, and if you're a Mexican restaurant that on your website boasts, we're going to give you home-cooked traditional Mexican food, then yeah, there's a level of um, quality that I expect when I go to eat there. And they really, really did not hit the mark. So what about it that just didn't hit that mark? So, okay, for example, um, my biggest disappointment was with the carne asada that I had. Um, carne asada literally translates into grilled uh, meat. And it's one of the most traditional Mexican dishes. Um, it's typically like a flank steak that's cooked medium I would say you know I mean some people prefer their steaks cooked a little bit more well done but when I've had it it's traditionally been cooked medium um, and the thing is is that the flavor of the meat comes from an open flame grill and it's supposed to be this like really juicy grilled steak um, that you're served with kind of rice and beans on the side um, my carne asada that I was served at Cinco de Mayo was probably the thinnest steak I've ever had in my life and it was clearly not grilled. Um, it kind of looked like it had been pan fried with a little bit of oil. And it was just really, really lacking in flavor. Um, the other thing that kind of confused me was that it was served with rice and beans, but then also with pico de gallo, lettuce, sour cream, cheese, and tortillas. And I was a little confused as to why I was getting that because you don't eat it as a fajita. You eat it as a steak with your sides so that really threw me off and it was just kind of it was just really disappointed it was totally well done it was rubbery it was tough and I was served two steaks and I couldn't even touch the second one that's how bad it was all right so a little bit known secret I also went on one of these reviews with you and mm -hmm. on the way we were kind of talking about how quickly this restaurant had expanded from it the first location in right. Middletown to Urbana so are you kind of surprised that they were able to expand with the way the food is? Um, I, no. Um, just because I think restaurant expansion, I mean, they already have a lot of locations regionally. Um, they have one in Martinsburg. They have one in Columbia. So I don't think it's a matter of um, issues with expansion. I mean, both locations where they opened up in Middletown and Urbana are new. Um, they're coming into locations that are under development and are coming up like the urbana spot it it's brand i mean it's it's brand new there are a bunch of whole new shops it's come up probably within the last year to couple years so it's not surprising that they were able to find a spot to come into and i just don't think that the community has had enough time to try it out yet and kind of realize you know probably better going somewhere else right so um, between the two locations, was the food any better at the Urbana location versus the Middletown location? No. Okay. so It wasn't. So it's well known between the companies, not just necessarily the chef right. behind that. And, you know, I have heard from people who have gone to like the Martinsburg location that they like it. So, you know, maybe other locations are better. Maybe because it's both locations here are fairly new that they're still kind of working out their kinks. Um, but it was kind of shocking to go to both and have the same bad quality of food. And I think one of the things I was kind of surprised by with having it, so I had 
chicken tacos, which mm-hmm. is kind of a standard meal you can get. It just seemed like there was a lack of seasoning, which is yeah. kind of surprising, especially for a place that's supposed to serve home cooked you yeah. know, Mexican food. That's seasoning is pretty important. Yeah. I mean, I think when you think of Mexican food, you think of like biting into a taco and just having that burst of flavor in your mouth. And that was not present in any of the dishes. Now, I will say if you're looking for a meal with a lot of food, this is a restaurant for it, though, because I believe we both commented just about how much food they give you. Absolutely. I mean, when we went, I had the chicken chipotle bowl, which they said was their most popular. And it was huge. I mean, I could not even finish it. And your tacos were filled to the brim with chicken. But again, your it's quantity versus quality (laughs) here right so you know and what about margaritas because that is another staple um at least for people looking on a friday night did they have good margaritas yeah so the margaritas are as big as your head um they are (laughs) quite large i mean definitely one glass is enough for two people um i had just a classic lime margarita and it was fine um you know nothing incredible but just kind of your standard margarita the thing that did surprise me though was that i had to ask the waitress if the class if like a classic lime margarita was even available because it wasn't listed on their menu which i thought was really odd and they had all these other variations of margaritas they had like a margarita with a corona bottle in it they had a margarita with a splash of malibu rum they had like a blue margarita like every single variation of a margarita you could possibly think of was listed on that menu except the classic on the rocks lime margarita which okay everybody knows that but i think it was kind of lazy to not put it on the menu yeah and especially because you might not think about it like you don't always ask so and I think we had, so we had chips and uh, guac as well, and those mm-hmm. were pretty good. The salsa was pretty good. So maybe this is a place that you go with some of your friends late at night to get a margarita. Yeah. After trying it, I definitely came to the conclusion that this is more of a happy hour appetizer type place because both appetizers I tried were actually quite good. And I will say the, the best thing actually turned out to be the chips and salsa that they give you on the table. Um, so... If you're in the mood for drinks and like a quick bite, maybe, maybe this is. But the otherwise, place. you probably can find one of the other many locations that's of restaurants that serve good yes. Mexican food here. In Absolutely. Yep. All right. Perfect. Well, unfortunately, that you had a bad review, <laughs> but um, it's good to let people know. Um, yes. And maybe it will get better if. Right. Like, I mean, you know, in a year, maybe. I'll right. try it again, and we'll see. <laughs> All right. Well, Katrina, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Frederick Uncut is produced by me, Heather Mangilio, and edited by Graham Cullen. We'll see you next week.